You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Uh, hello, good morning to, uh, to everyone in the uh, the West Coast, and a good afternoon for everyone in the uh, Eastern region of uh, of the United States. My name is Min Kim. Uh, I'm a partner and immigration attorney here at the Chuuk Law Firm. I sit in our law firm's Edison, New Jersey office, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we were able to to meet here today. Uh, we have a lot to cover, and uh, today's session is titled International Travel and the Impact for H-1B Beneficiaries as well as uh, Applicants for U.S. Permanent Residency. I thought that uh, today's uh, discussion would be, would be really on point because, um, you know, obviously a lot of things have, uh, have happened recently, mainly the close of the filing period for H-1B cap for this year's fiscal year, um, as well as the, you know, the, the continual movement of immigrant visas and the continued advancement of green cards available for individuals from, uh, from India and from China in what were traditionally backlogged categories, uh, such as EB3 India, uh, EB3, EB2, EB2 China, et cetera. So um, it's, uh, it's good to be meeting with you and uh, we'll talk about these issues. And uh, a lot of times folks, whether you know, they, uh, they know or not, they go about their, uh, their lives, they need to travel for business, work-related reasons, or to perhaps visit family abroad without fully comprehending the, uh, the impact and the consequence on uh, what that international travel might do for their specific visa category or uh, you know, their application to uh, secure U.S. permanent residence here in the United States. Uh, so that's what we'll talk about here today. So uh, let's start with the H-1B. Um, you know, that's the, I suppose, up-to-date, you know, immediate news, given that the, uh, the filing window officially closed on, uh, on June 30th. As most of the audience might already be aware, it's been about two years now since, uh, since USCIS kind of revamped how they traditionally select H-1B cap lottery beneficiaries. So, um, you know, starting last year, USCIS has now implemented a, the, the lottery system based upon an online registration period. And based upon the selected registrations, H-1B petitioning employers now have about three months from April, May, and June of that fiscal year to submit their full cover-to-cover H-1B petition for, uh, for any sponsored foreign national beneficiaries. I suppose the, the one relevant point to, uh, to kind of keep in mind is that depending upon the whereabouts of the sponsor foreign national worker and um, how the H-1B cap petition is ultimately prepared and filed with USCIS, if someone who is being sponsored happens to exit the U.S. before a decision is reached on that particular H-1B cap petition, uh, it might have some grave consequences. It might risk the petition being, you know, being denied. Uh, and even if the petition is ultimately approved, it might be only be only be able to be approved for something called consular notification. 
meaning that a foreign national beneficiary would need to, quote unquote, activate their H-1B visa status by securing an H-1B visa at the U.S. consulate abroad and then returning back to the United States as an H-1B employee. So uh, we'll talk about the, uh, the specific mechanics behind that and um, how um, foreign nationals who might be in certain situations being sponsored for an H-1B cap petition, you know, this year, uh, what they should be uh, concerned with in terms of their international travel plans. So um, I, um, I mean, obviously, this is a big issue. Uh, so in order to, you know, kind of limit the discussion, um, I'm going to be talking about specifically beneficiaries who are currently in F1 student status. Uh, but please know that, you know, this analysis and, uh, you know, these principles can be further extended to any kind of visa category that you're currently in. But uh, if you were a sponsor for an H-1B cap petition, uh, you can apply these principles to your specific visa category as well. So let's say that you're here in the United States as an H-4 dependent spouse and you are sponsored for an H-1B cap petition, um, a lot of these uh, same principles would apply. But let's talk about the F-1 student first. So um, the F-1 student, I suppose a, a lot of times, depending upon the, the course curriculum that they're enrolled in, they might be eligible for something called OPT, uh, Optional Practical Training. And depending upon their specific academic concentration, that OPT might be able to be extended a further two years if they happen to uh, have, a, have a qualifying STEM degree. Depending upon where that F-1 student is in terms of his or her F-1 status, whether they're in possession of the OPT EAD card, uh, whether they have applied and are waiting for that 24-month STEM extension, or perhaps, you know, let's say that they might not have applied for the OPT, maybe they're not eligible, or, um, you know, they choose not to, and they're just immediately sponsored for an H-1B cap petition. And then uh, perhaps their program has ended and they're currently in the 60-day grace period. All of those, you know, different permutations have an impact on uh, the concerns that, you know, these F1 students should be aware of. If they, uh, if they happen to have travel plans and being sponsored for an H-1B cap petition. So um, in order to couch that discussion and take everything you know, one by one, I'm going to uh, break down the, um, the, the talk into three parts. So let's, uh, let's start with someone who is currently in F1 OPT status. And this includes someone who already has his or her approved 24 month STEM extension of that OPT. So, uh, the first question um, that, that, I, uh, that I have that I want to present to you is, uh, let's say that if someone is in possession, an F1 student is in possession of an OPT EAD, and uh, the OPT EAD is approved, but let's say that that person is not sponsored for an H-1B cap petition, is travel and return in F1 status permissible? The answer to that would be yes. Um, you know, obviously the OPT EAD is approved and, um, you know, once they leave the U.S., provided that they have a valid unexpired F-1 visa stamp in their passport, then they'll be able to uh, freely return back to the U.S., uh, present the documentation needed to CBP at the port of entry, and then seek admission in their previous F-1 visa status category. Uh, some of the documents that eligible uh, foreign nationals uh, within this little criteria should uh, keep in mind is um, uh, possession of a passport, an unexpired F-1 visa stamp, 
uh, their valid unexpired EAD and endorsed I-20 form from their DSO, endorsed for travel uh, within the past six months, uh, pay stubs from their OPT employer if, 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 uh, if they've already started work with that specific employer, and perhaps a verifying letter from that OPT employer that uh, once the F-1 student uh, seeks return entry back into the U.S., that they'll be resuming the qualifying OPT work. Um, what about the situation where if, uh, if someone is an F-1 student status and they have their OPT EAD filed and pending, uh, is travel recommended at that point? If you fall within this uh, hypothetical, I would not recommend travel, international travel uh, specifically, uh, because presumably you are in a period where your academic course of study has completed and therefore you qualified for the post-completion OPT. Well, if you happen to exit and depart the US and seek re-entry, well, if that OPT EAD has not been adjudicated and ultimately approved by USCIS, then what are you returning to? Uh, you can expect to face somewhat challenges at the port of entry at the border where CBP will question well, what is the work? The work has not yet been approved by, by USCIS in the form of the OPT EAD being granted. So because CVP will not be convinced that there is ready work available to you, they might turn you away. And then have you um, board the next plane internationally and not admit you uh, in the F1 status that you so desire. What about the situation where, you know, still someone is not being sponsored for an H1B cap petition uh, but they have their initial grant of 12-month post-completion OPT approved, and they are waiting for their STEM extension, the 24-month STEM extension from a qualifying academic degree. Uh, they're still waiting for that 24-month STEM extension to be approved by USCIS in the form of the renewed EAD card. If you fall into this scenario, theoretically, yes, uh, international travel should be doable and it is permissible, uh, but caution should be exercised because in a way you're, you're presenting expired documents to CBP. As uh, people in F1 student status know, uh, there is a way where you know, the OPT can be automatically extended for 180 days uh, once a, uh, a STEM extension is timely filed with USCIS and you're just waiting for that 24 month renewed EAD card to be issued. Well, uh, while you're waiting and while that EAD application is in process, uh, you do have work authorization. And I suppose based upon that uh, logic, uh, CBP should admit you back into the U.S. But I suppose in theory, that sounds, you know, really, really good. And, uh, you know, it sounds, um, you know, where uh, that's something that might be doable. Uh, but, you know, obviously each CBP officer <laughs> is built differently. Each port of entry is, uh, is, is handled differently. And once you're attempting to come back to the US if you fall in this situation and explain to the officer that you have a STEM extension pending and therefore you provide the receipt notice for your 24 month STEM extension application that's pending at USCIS and you present your expired EAD card um, you know, to prove that you, know, you, were, you were in OPT status and therefore now you're extended automatically by six months, the, the CBP officer, should be able to understand what, what you're trying to do, uh, but you know, obviously there's a, you know, there's there's a lack of assurance there. So, you know, I would exercise caution if you fall into this scenario. Um, you know, you're not being sponsored for an H-1B cap. 
uh, your, uh, your initial grant of 12 month uh, OBT has concluded, you're waiting for that 24 month EAD to be renewed. Uh, there is a urgent need to travel, you depart, you seek re-entry, the STEM extension is still not yet approved, but you fall in that 180 day uh, period that I mentioned. Um, there might be a hard line of questioning at the border that you should be prepared for. Okay, so um, let's talk about, before we talk about H-1B CAF specifically, let's talk about uh, individuals who might fall within the 60 day grace period, uh, because this, uh, this is important. Uh, if, uh, if your academic course of study or if your uh, OPT, um, you know, EAD has, has, uh, has concluded, and there is no accompanying uh, H-1B CAF sponsorship to continue your stay here in the US. Uh, if you are thinking of traveling overseas during that 60 day grace period, I, uh, I would not advise that, that approach. You know, you will be turned away. If, if anything, that 60 day period, uh, grace period that's found in the immigration regulation is, uh, is granted to qualifying F1 students so that they can wrap up their affairs here in the US and make plans for departure. Uh, so because it is a grace period, CBP will not be convinced that, you know, that they are um, able to admit you back in F1 student status because that status is, for all intents and purposes, concluded. And, uh, you know, based upon the, uh, the conclusion of your academic program or the OPT EAD card that you were working um, pursuant to. So uh, let's uh, kind of shift gears here and talk about H-1B cap and the international travel that, uh, that impacts that. So as a general rule, if you are in the situation where you're an F-1 student and you are sponsored for an H-1B cap petition requesting a change of status to automatically take effect on October 1st of the brand new government fiscal year, then if you happen to leave the US and depart, before that H-1B change of status petition is fully adjudicated, then what that will result in is the change of status portion of the H-1B petition being abandoned. USCIS might still ultimately approve the H-1B classification, uh, but what that means is that once that classification is approved, uh, you don't automatically become an H-1B employee uh, on October 1st. In order for that to take effect, you need to activate your H-1B visa classification by securing an H-1B visa FOIL at the U.S. consulate abroad and then returning back to the U.S. Uh, as an H-1B employee of your petitioning employer. So uh, it just adds further steps, but needless to say, in, a, in today's time with the, with the COVID climate, uh, a lot of the consulates, even though they're starting to open up internationally, they're still uh, way behind, way behind in terms of visa applications. A lot of them are still suffering closures and operating at very limited capacity. So given these challenges, I would, um, I would definitely recommend that if you fall in that situation where you are being sponsored for an H-1B cap petition, you know that that cap petition requested a change of status to automatically take effect on October 1st, try to postpone your travel plans. Uh, remain in the US until that H-1B petition and that change of status request is fully approved by USCIS. Let's uh, fast forward to the scenario of the H-1B change of status petition being approved. The filing window, as I mentioned, closed on June 30th for, for this recent H-1B cap petition filing period. Uh, perhaps you know, your sponsoring H-1B employer might have filed the H-1B cap petition for you in premium processing 
and it was adjudicated quickly in two weeks time and you have that H-1B change of status approved. Obviously, the H-1B takes effect automatically uh, by operation of law on October 1st. But from now, from today until October 1st, there is a need to travel overseas. What happens then? In, in that scenario, if travel cannot be avoided, perhaps you, knew, you need to go back to your home country, kind of attend to some, you know, whatever affairs, and you are confident that you're able to return back to the U.S., before October 1st, before that change of status takes effect, is international travel permissible? In that case, the answer will be yes. You are returning back as an F1 OBT EAD holder. And this would apply, you know, whether the EAD card that you have right now is still valid and unexpired, or even if the EAD card happens to be expired and you're working for the petitioning employer based upon cap gap, F1 OPT cap gap, U.S. Customs and Border Protection should be able to understand that you're returning back to the U.S. and seeking admission as an F1 OPT holder so that you can be here effective October 1st once you be changed status officially to an H1B employee. So that arrangement should be understood at CBP. Um, you know, obviously the same documentation would apply here. A copy of your passport should be uh, on your person once you're planning on returning back to the U.S., an unexpired F-1 visa stamp, an I-20 received from the DSO within the last six months authorizing uh, travel internationally, as well as an approval of any CAPGAT extension or extension of your EAD, as well as a copy of the H-1B change of status approval notice received from USCIS, as well as perhaps a complete copy of the H-1B petition, just in case the CBP at the border happens to request uh, that documentation. So um, let's, uh, let's shift gears here and let's talk about um, you know, the, uh, the international travel impact on, on green cards. There's some uh, important things here to cover, so I'm just going to touch upon the, uh, the higher points. So as uh, most everyone um, who is being sponsored for a green card know uh, when that sponsorship happens to come from a U.S. employer, in general, there are three steps involved for, uh, for securing a U.S. green card. Uh, one who is um, being sponsored for a PERM application, a PERM labor certification filed with the U.S. Department of Labor. Once the PERM is certified, then the, the last two remaining steps in the green card is the I-140 petition, as well as the adjustment of status application, which is the actual green card application for uh, green card applicants. Um, the general question is, can I travel internationally while my PERM is filed or being prepared? And can I travel internationally while the I-140 petition is being prepared and you know, ultimately adjudicated at USCIS? And the answer to that is yes. Uh, travel restrictions would typically apply at the last and final stage, the adjustment of status stage. On the, the day that your employer or perhaps your employer's attorney is filing the adjustment of status on your behalf, you must be physically in the U.S. The adjustment of status cannot be filed if you happen to be abroad. Uh, it, it requires physical presence in the United States. And while that adjustment of status application is ultimately submitted and you are in the U.S., I would advise try to be in the U.S. until the receipt notice is received from, uh, from um, a USCIS 
formally acknowledging that USCIS has receded and uh, is, uh, is processing your adjustment of status case, as well as perhaps extend your stay into the United States and avoid international travel until you uh, ultimately submit your biometrics. Uh, biometrics is uh, basically fingerprinting that, that's done at an application support center at USCIS. And uh, depending upon uh, you know, the availability of those centers, biometrics can uh, typically be scheduled about four to eight weeks after you submit your adjustment of status filing for, for you and any kind of um, you know, joining family members. So uh, I suppose uh, in, in large part, after the adjustment of status is ultimately submitted to USCIS, I typically advise my clients that uh, you know, try to be in the United States for at least uh, two months or so until you successfully submit your biometrics. Now, the caveat to that is in addition to the adjustment of status application, uh, there are advanced parole applications that are submitted. Advanced parole is basically a, uh, an ancillary travel privilege document that USCIS will grant to you, the green card applicant, allowing you to travel back and forth from the United States and internationally while you wait your green card application to ultimately be adjudicated. The thing about the advanced parole to, uh, to keep in mind is that it does require physical presence in the United States the entire time that uh, advanced parole is pending. So even though the actual application for adjustment of status requires an H-1B or an L-1 visa holder just to be in the United States until USCIS receives the petition and perhaps receives your biometrics, the advanced parole is different, it's treated differently. It requires you to be in the United States the entire time until the advanced parole is approved. And um, you know, nowadays advanced paroles are taking around four to six months to be adjudicated. So you know, obviously that's a, a significant bit of time. And here I do wanna make the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the CARVA exception that uh, the ability to uh, leave the U United States uh, before the advanced parole is issued, it's reserved for only H-1B visa holders as well as L-1 visa beneficiaries. So if you happen to be in a different visa classification, uh, you know, let's say uh, an O-1 or, or you're in E-visa status, the advanced parole is needed. You need to wait until the advanced parole is received because if you happen to leave the United States before that advanced parole is issued, then you do risk the adjustment of status application that you filed to ultimately be abandoned. Okay. So uh, one uh, one question, and this is a this is a really good one, is the uh, the the person asks, knowing that international travel re will result in the abandonment of the advanced parole while it remains in process at USCIS, can I file my I forty five just the I-765 uh, EAD application? The, uh, the answer to that is yes. Even though the advanced parole, a lot of times it's filed concurrently with the adjustment of status and the EAD, it doesn't compel you in order to do that. You know, where uh, I, I suppose in representing some of uh, some green card applicants who, uh, who kind of fit in this scenario, if they know, if you know that you have an immediate international travel obligation, and therefore, there is no possible way that you can remain in the U.S. for those six months while that advanced parole is, is ultimately adjudicated. Can you choose to just file your I-45 application for adjustment of status and your EAD? That's absolutely permissible. And um, you know, perhaps when you return back to the U.S., then you can um, you know, look to file your advanced parole at a later point. Uh, so, so, that is, um, so that is something that can be done.
A second question, which is a really uh, good question here, it, uh, it reads as, I am an H4 spouse. I have an EAD approved that was filed concurrently with my adjustment of status application when I joined my husband's AOS. I started working using my EAD. My advanced parole was approved as an EAD advanced parole combo card. My H-4 visa stamp is valid and unexpired. Should I use my H-4 visa to re-enter the U.S. after traveling overseas? Uh, this is, um, we are, <laughs> uh, I suppose I can, you know, kind of uh, do an entire session on, on this separate topic. <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's a really good question. And I suppose with the visa categories moving as, as they are, and a lot of people filing for the green cards, uh, I find uh, a lot of um, you know clients who fall in this scenario, um, you know more uh, more often recently. The um, the short answer to this question is, I would not advise this H four spouse to use their H four visa to re-enter the U S. If the H four spouse has the approved advanced parole, use the advanced parole you know, to be paroled into the U.S. instead of relying on the H-4 visa stamp. And the rationale behind this is that there is a regulation in the uh, federal immigration rules where if someone is not maintaining their non-immigrant visa status, specifically an H-1B and an L-1, and, um, you know, corresponding, you know, for, for the, uh, the family members, an H-4 and an L-2, if they're not maintaining that visa status by the time that they depart the U.S. and uh, they're seeking to re-enter the U.S. using that visa status in their passport. So someone who is here um, as, a, as a parolee and who still has their H-4 visa approved in their passport, can they come back to the U.S. using their H-4 visa without risking the abandonment of the adjustment of status application? Well, the immigration rule pertaining to that says the the AOS, the application for adjustment of status, is abandoned uh, in a, in such a scenario. So, this, I mean, this rule is, um, you know, it's not really widely known. And if you happen to fall in this category, I would advise to uh, seek professional counsel. A, a lawyer will be able to uh, further advise on what the best approach would be. But answering this specific question, I would definitely recommend to use the uh, approved advanced parole to return back to the U.S. instead of relying on the the visa in your passport. Um, so uh, that brings us to a close to the time that we have here today. Um, just as a reminder for the uh, audience to follow our law firm, Shug LLP, on our social media platforms and Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Uh, we post up-to-date immigration news on those platforms, and uh, you will receive notifications and reminders when our firm will host these uh, live sessions next. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chook.com for legal and immigration and www.chook.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chook LLP team. 